Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Amen. Thanks, Helen. As Joe mentioned, we are excited to be praying for Chuck. And in the coming weeks, we're going to get to share a lot more about what he's going to be up to. For now, if you'd like to uh, send him an email, you can. His email address is printed in the bulletin, and he'd be happy to hear from you. Before we move on into our sermon today, I want us to pause. I want us to stop, and I want us to to lament and pray uh, for our country and for our city. So please pray with me. Father, we come before you. And we lament the recent loss of life of our African-American brothers, Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. Their deaths are of God's image. Your, these are your image bearers. And we know the pain and the hurt felt right now is just the tip of the iceberg, of the toll, taken on many of our brothers and sisters. And so we cry out like David in Psalm 13, Oh, How long, O Lord, how long? We confess, for many of us in this church, we haven't had to experience the same daily traumas that many of our fellow Christians have had to live with their entire lives. We pray for those of us who are angry right now. Keep us from falling into bitterness or sin. We pray for those of us who are apathetic. Soften our hearts. Give us ears to listen. Help us to be slow to speak, to hear the stories of those hurting. Help us to weep with those who weep. Right now, Father, we want to help us to do that. We pray for the systems in our country and in our city that lead to the moment when one life can put a knee to another person's life and end it. Regardless of our political views, regardless of our politics this morning, I pray as Christians that we can mourn the loss of life, that we can associate with those who are most hurting, and we can ask for justice. We want to, we want to do all three of these things. Lord, please, please. We are upset and hurting. We're watching the same systemic power, power, powers play out right now in this pandemic, and it's just overbearing. We grieve that image bearers are subject to slurs and insults. They're being spit on simply for walking out their front doors as if they were the cause of this virus. The suffering is immense. And so we lament. We fix our eyes on you and we ask you to give us hearts of love for all of your creation. May this church be your hands of restoration and justice in this country and in this city. 
We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Last week, Chuck introduced us to our new series that uh, we have been in, or or now only been in for a week, but we're going to be in for the month of July, up to the month of July. Uh, The series is called Living by Faith in Fearful Times. And we're doing the series because we are. We are in a pandemic. We're in the midst of this space, and so now is the time to focus on what we believe and why we believe it. Now is the time to lean on what we say we believe. Even if you're not a Christian this morning, I think this could still be a fruitful time for you to examine the locus of your beliefs and values. These are uncertain times, and the stresses of life reveal to us what we've been hoping in and trusting in all along. And I think more often than not, if we do a little bit of work, what we will see is that we have been controlled by unseen realities more than the seen ones. This, this whole series then is going to look at and try to see different reflections of faith and belief and see how they might be able to inform our lives now. So we're going to hopefully reveal the unseen realities and bring them to light in our hearts and in our lives. And so each week we're going to look at a different example, a different individual, and see how they live their lives. And what we'll find is each one of them had hardships. They had struggles. And we need to see how they live despite these realities. Our series is completely in one chapter. This is Hebrews chapter 11. And if you skip down to verse 13, the writer there summarizes his purpose. He says, all these people that we're going to look at, they all cried out. In the previous verses, none of these people, he says, um, while they were living, received the things promised. And so the writer writes, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. In other words, whatever it means to live by faith, what the writer is saying is at some level, it means to long for the heavenly city, the heavenly country. The people cited had difficulties, and I know you and me, we have, these, we have difficulties too, and these hurts. And so to live by faith means to live between the times, between the already but not yet, that the city, the future is here. We have an aspect of it, but it's not fully here. It keeps us then from thinking that we could ever form a utopian society today, but it also keeps us from giving up and being despondent of the fact of what we have in society today. We can go further in. We can love the city more, not less. We can be called to this place more, not less. See, the, f- the future redeemed city is here, and yet it's not fully here. And that means this church, the purpose of this church, Redeemer Lincoln Square, was always for the redemption and restoration of this city. That's what we were before this pandemic, and it will be what we're about after this pandemic as well. Let's look at the first case study we're given here. Uh, it's one verse. It's in the life of Abel. And in this one verse, we see three things. We see the offering, we see the murder, and we see the speaking. The offering, the murder, and the speaking. So first, the offering. It says here in, the, in this verse, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain. Now, before we go on, most modern people, we cue in on that word faith. It's actually in New York 
an acceptable term. It's okay to hold on to your faith. We encourage each other. We say, hey, rely on your faith. Have faith. It's a general platitude that is acceptable because it's undefined. It's mysterious. It's, you, you can make it whatever you want it to be. What's interesting is the writer here doesn't keep faith ambiguous, though. He's very specific about exactly what faith is. In fact, he says faith is an action as Abel brought something to God through it. This is also earlier in verse 1. We're told faith is certain. It relies on evidence. It's something that you can rely on and you can grasp things with. In other words, faith uses your mind at some level. That's the opposite of fuzzy. Unless you have a fuzzy mind, and that's something that you need to work on. But in general, faith from this writer is active. Abel brings to God an offering. And we're told it's, it's better than Cain's, which makes us ask, why did God accept Abel's offering, not Cain's offering? The way the story goes is they both bring offerings. God accepts Abel's, not Cain. Um, and so Cain gets mad and kills Abel. And if you go back to the original Genesis 4 passage, the writer there doesn't really indicate and tell us what about the offering, that, or you know, why did God accept Abel's offering, not Cain's? Which has led people to speculate. Maybe it was in the offering. Abel brought you know, animal offerings. And so some people have thought, well, maybe it was the blood sacrifice that God liked more. Abel had flocks. Cain did not. Abel could bring fat portions. Cain could not. The problem with that hypothesis is that in Genesis, there, nowhere does it indicate that God requires animal sacrifice. That couldn't be it. In fact, if you're looking for differences between Cain and Abel, they're hard to come by. Think about it. They are brothers, so they're born of the same mom, same dad. That means they have the same upbringing, same education. They, at the same time, had, um, they both bring this, an offering, which means they both believe in God. In some respect, these are two people, they could be two people sitting in the same pew at the very same worship service, both coming to God, and yet God's reaction is utterly different to them. Why is that? Well, we have to, let's think through it. If it's not something in who that they are, if it's not in the quality of their offerings, if it's not in the substance of their offerings, then by the process of elimination, the only possibility then is there had to be, what's implied is that there had to be a difference in the heart. It had to be the way that they brought the offering. And I think the way that they brought it was to God, and they came to God in utterly different ways. Hebrews 11 indicates that. That Abel came and brought his offering by faith, which by definition means Cain did not bring his offering by faith. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means at least this. The difference of acceptance by God had nothing to do with their worth, their power, their politics, their race, their money. That's how humans, that's how we in a society, we differentiate based on those things. I think the reason why there's so much anger right now in our country is because we know that we treat people differently based on who they are, not God. So the difference then is this. What Cain did is what most religious people did back then is when they came with an offering to God. They did it in order to get favor from God. 
They'd say, oh, great God, I've brought, I, here is my offering. I bring these things now. Do you see it fit to bless me? In other words, they gave to get. It's, 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 it's really um, a barter. It's, it, it's an exchange. It's a, it's a bribery in a lot of ways. I give you something, now you should give me something. I, this is where Abel is different. Abel, his offering was by faith in that he didn't give an offering to get something from God. Cain gave to get. Abel gave to just give. Cain, I'll give as long as I can get. I'll give to you guys as long as I can get something back. Which means you're really just doing this for yourself. So zoom out for just a second, and I think this is important. Everybody watching this right now, you can divide yourself out into either you're either a Cain or an Abel. Right? This is how you not just relate to God, this is how we relate to each other, how we relate to the world, maybe even how you relate to yourself. There's like fundamentally two ways living to give or living to get. It's trusting in God or trusting in something else, which you have to get to live. And I think every day we need to ask ourselves, am I Cain or am I able? At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Let me try to show you this uh, in the murder here. This is the second thing we see is the murder shows us what happens when you don't live by faith. It means living under the pretense of a false identity, a different identity. Merslav Wolf points this out in his book, Exclusion and Embrace. What he shows us is that you know, Cain kills Abel. We need to ask the question, why? Why does he kill Abel? And he points out that Cain's name means to produce, to be a winner. And Abel's name... In, the, in, in its original use, meant to be, literally it means nothingness. It means a loser, which makes you say, okay, why would anybody name their kids winner and loser? And the answer is because in ancient times, the firstborn was everything. The firstborn was everything. And you know that when Eve had that first child, all the promise, all the hope, the entire next generation was placed on his shoulders. I can't even imagine the weight of the world that was put on him. Adam and Eve knew they messed up. They knew that they, it wasn't going to be through them. And so they said, you know what, Cain? We messed up, but, but through you, you're the winner. Right? Through you, everything's going to come. Even Eve said this. She said in regards to Cain, I have produced a man. You can almost hear her hopes and expectations there. No reference like that for Abel. Abel was an afterthought. Cain was the producer and winner. Abel was the afterthought. And so if your entire life, if your identity is built on this idea that you're the winner, that you're the best, that everything's going to come through you, when that view is challenged, what are you going to do? I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to get angry. You're going to get dejected. 
You're going to get upset, and you're going to get bewildered, and you might even get murderous. See, Cain, when God favors Abel, when I was having another over him, he just couldn't handle that. Why would God regard Abel a nobody over me a somebody? Why would God favor nobody? And, and so what happens is that envy erupts and that envy turns into rage and that rage kills Abel. And he couldn't, fa- because he couldn't fathom how Abel could be favored over him. But you need to notice something. The, the sin isn't in the murder. Of course, murder is a sin, but that's not where it starts. The murder is the product of his, of his actions, but it's the product actually of his identity that Cain couldn't square with God. See, all sin, I think, is primarily not in your actions. It begins when you weaponize your identity against other individuals. It's when we say, you know what? Most of you are not going to be violent like Cain, but what you might do is you might build a life on maintaining an identity apart from God. You say, I know who I am. I'm reasonable. I'm, uh, I'm good. I'm valid because of what I am offering, what I can bring to the table. Look what I've done. See, all those things are ways to be Cain. And when you say, I'm a somebody, by definition you're saying, well, that means I'm not a nobody. And so what you're doing is you're differentiating yourself from others. And that works. I think it does work. When you say, I'm good, I'm a successful person, I have a family, I have relationships, I have these things, it's fine until a pandemic comes along and takes those things away from you. And when it does... So that's when we fall apart. Because when that, when that ends up happening, our value system that we had, your goodness can't be your identity, your production can't be your identity, your family can't be your identity, your friendships can't be your identity. That's when we freak out. Because what we're all doing, essentially, is we're saying to everyone, God and others, we're saying, look at my record. Here's what I'm offering. Here's what I'm bringing to the table. Why else do people spend so much time trying on clothes. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm working through this myself. We try to find clothes that look just right because we want approval. We want people not to think less of us. And so we try to find clothes that cover up or hide the parts of our body that we don't like. Somebody was telling me that wearing stripes uh, makes you look more svelte. Um, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe wearing stripes makes you look not as good. I, I actually don't know. But the fact that somebody does know how plaid looks, how solid colors look, what they make, means that we've put a lot of time into the optical illusion to look presentable, to look acceptable. What is that? That's at some level relying on our looks to be an offering. That it can be, and it doesn't have to be just our looks. It could be our jobs, it can be our families, it can be our politics. These are identities that are cues for other people. Look, I'm in the know. Look at, my, look at how I think. Look at how I act. I, have, I use this kind of language. I use this kind of you know, calling cards. And those are all offerings that we say, here's who I am. Now am I not acceptable? When Cain was offering to God, he was making a trade. He's saying, here's what I'm bringing. Let me in. I have something for you. Which is what we do every single day with our identities. When God rejected that trade, when it's not enough, Cain didn't kill Abel out of irrational anger. He was being very rational. What he saw is he saw himself as a winner. He saw that identity challenged. And he saw the one he had to kill to make sure that 
that nothing got in the way of his identity. And you and I would do the same thing. Whoever is labeled other for you, whoever you say that person does not deserve to be in the realm of humanity, it could be a political group that you don't like, it could be a racial group, it could be something that you've identified as the problem with the world or the problem for you. And you are going to demonize it and you're going to seek to kill that thing. Only by having your identity on God alone, His life, His grace, His truth, can that keep you from destroying, at some level, someone else, some other group. See, Abel, here, look at Abel. Abel, his whole life, he was told, you're nothing. He knew he was a nobody. So when he offered up his offering to God, it wasn't a trade. He was giving to God knowing that he could never live up to what he needed to be which was precisely the intuition which allowed him to just accept God for God's sake. That he wasn't trying to make a barter or a trade. Abel must have been called, he must have called out so many times, help, I have no one else but you. Help, no one else will talk to me. Nobody else thinks I'm someone. Therefore, his offering was not a way to get approval. At some level, he had to know he already had that approval. That's what it means to live by faith. True story. Uh, when I, I think I've told it before. When I, when I had my um, first daughter, and I held her for the first time in my hands, immediately starts crying. And I had, I, it's still etched in my brain. I had the craziest thought. The first time I saw her, the first time she cries, I said, I said to myself, and I promised myself, I never want her to ever cry again. I'm going to be the kind of dad that is going to make sure that she has everything that she needs which is kind of a ludicrous thing to say because five minutes later she started crying again but it was that intuition to want to win to want to be that kind of dad that now I have to regularly go to God in prayer and confess that I'm not that kind of dad and that if I had made that the measuring stick I'm toast there's no way you can live up to that and some of you probably don't pick in levels at that, that, that exact level but um, we all do at some level. At some level, we, we've done just that. So we have to put to, de- to death these things. Whatever that identity is, it won't work. If you're living to never disappoint, if you're living to never be wrong, if you're living to, to have a great life, that is an offering that you're bribing people, God Himself, maybe with. You can do it in reverse. If you live this way, you're never going to put yourself in a situation where you can disappoint. You're never going to put yourself in a situation where you're going to have some risks. You're going to have a hard time committing to things. You're going to run out of the city when it's not giving you what you need. When life gets hard, when things don't work out. Unless you cling to His free grace as the only thing that motivates and moves you in your life, it's by faith alone, it's going to be some other identity and it won't work. It hasn't worked. And so last point to say, the speaking. Who's speaking here? Back in the verse, Abel still speaks, it says, even though he's dead, which I think is a clue to how to get true identity, even in this pandemic, even with all the worries and all the cares and all the hardships right now, is that you need to remember Cain believed. What did he, he believed in God. He actually made an offering to God. Whatever 
by faith means right now, it's not, what we're not asking you to have is just a general belief in God. Lots of people have that. that t- this text is saying you need to have faith in God, not in general, but in a very, particularly in a gracious God. Adam and Eve was, was promised this gracious God. In Genesis 3, they're told that there'll be one one day who will come and crush the head of the serpent. One day, I will save you from your sin and from death itself. That you can't do it, but there, was, there is going to be one who can. And the Hebrew writer knew exactly what was happening when he just one chapter later says, it's Jesus who speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now think about that for a second. Abel's blood is still speaking. What's it saying? Well, if Jesus' blood speaks a better word, then what's the word Abel's blood is saying? It's a pointer. Abel's blood is pointing to Jesus because Jesus speaks an even better word because he's the ultimate Abel. Right? Abel points to Jesus because Abel was innocent when he was killed. Jesus is the truly innocent one who came into this world and the Cains of this world, we can't handle it. Right? Cains killed the true Abel because we can't stand the fact to know that we aren't who we say we are. And this true Abel, his blood is still speaking out. It's still crying out, I've paid the penalty. I died so that you can live. My blood was shed for you. It is finished. Which is why Romans 8 is so profound when it says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? That's a covering over you. If, that, if you believe in Him, there is now no condemnation. In fact, it's even more. This verse says, Abel's faith, by faith he was commended. And I had to look up what commended, commended means to be accepted, to be celebrated, to be praised. Abel felt God's praise. Cain did not feel God's praise. Cain's have to go out in the world and try to get that praise. Abel's know they already have it. So here's the difference between Cain's and Abel and Abel's out there. They both know that they've messed up. They both know that they sinned. They both will confess that sin and bring an offering. The difference is Cain's can only confess to things they've done wrong. Abel's can even confess and repent of why they're even trying to be good in the first place. It's a profoundly different reason. All the right reasons the world would celebrate we know deep down are just ways for us to get an identity apart from Him. And Abel's can actually admit that. Because if you already have that acceptance, if you already feel that acceptance and self-worth, that you are celebrated, that you are accepted, that you are praised, it's that foundational truth that becomes changing and life-giving. As we sang last week, think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what Father smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. And if you did, if you knew that, think about every time you're ever going to mess up. Every time we mess up, how do you know God is going to forgive you the next time? Right? Is he gonna, how, do you, how do you know He's going to keep accepting you? Surely has a limit. When you mess up, you say, okay, I promise next time I won't do it again. A couple years later, you do it again. Or the next day, you do it again. And then you apologize again. Every year I get older, I'm wondering, how do I know God's going to accept me this time? 
And I think this is where the Hebrews verse matters because if Jesus' blood is crying out better than Abel, what's that blood saying? His blood is saying, I've paid it. I've died so that you can live. And therefore, God, it would be wrong for you to not forgive Michael because I've already paid that. Jesus' blood is, it's, it's, when you are a Christian, it's crying out for mercy for you. It's like Jesus saying to God, Father God, Michael, he did it again. He threw himself into the approvals of others. He's looking for people's praise and adoration and he wants people to like him and he wants to be successful. He wants to be smart. He did it again. But you can't punish him because I already took that punishment. It would be unjust for you to do so, so please just accept him. That's what Jesus' blood is saying for you. Do you see how that would change you? I mean, the implications are immense. Abel's blood cries out for justice against Cain. Jesus' blood cries out to justice for you. His blood was shed so ours doesn't have to be. And when that moves you and when that gets inside of you, when you see that self-worth and acceptance and celebration that the Lord of heaven and earth is dancing because they, of relationship with you, that no offering we can bring, just to Him we can cling, now you can work for the new heavens and new earth. Now we can see past just our immediate needs. Right? We're so myopic when we're thinking just about what's for ourselves, but now we can move out into the needs of others. Now there is such a security and there is such a, a calm and a known value in my own heart that I can move into cities even when they're falling apart. I can move into relationships when they're falling apart. I can move into difficult spaces even when they're falling apart. I can extend myself beyond my normal means because I don't have to run out and get because it's already been given. And so there's only one last question to ask yourself. Who are you? Are you Cain or are you Abel? Right? They look similar on the outside, but everything's different on the inside. Right? Similar offerings, similar belief in God, but the change is completely different. Who are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we started even before our sermon with um, prayer and lament, there is so much frustration and hurt out there. We're looking for justice. All blood spilled cries out for justice, and yours does too. And, and, and the immeasurable wonder and amazement is that that justice, you're crying out for justice not for yourself, but for us. Let that warm our hearts today. If it's cloudy, brighten our day. If it's sunny, show us this is even brighter than this, the most sunniest of days. Help us act, help this truth applied in our lives. Help the implications just run out of our mouths, out into our lives, into our actions. Father, I, I, I confess I don't know necessarily all the right ways of how to how to encourage our church to be out in the world, whether it's in our workplace whether it's in friends or family and neighbors, whether it's in large system, going after large systemic problems that are so difficult because we don't know where the, the, the knot starts or ends. But I pray that you give us hearts for you and for others as we live in this already but not yet space. We know the future is sure. And so we are waiting 
and working in expectation. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.